Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of the Coin Press Podcast. I'm Luke Willis. Today, I am joined by podcast veteran, Kui He. Welcome, Kui. Hey, what's going on? Long time no talk on this particular show. Yeah, yeah, on this venue. Uh, it's been since episode two I had you on, I believe. Um, what episode are we at right now? 31. 31, so uh, that makes it 29, right? Something like that. You yeah. can do math. Probably better than I can. Uh, <laughs> so I still so, use a calculator for one plus one sometimes to make sure I'm not going crazy. <laughs> Just got to be sure. Make sure there's no holes in the fabric of reality. Uh, <laughs> all right. So today, Kui, uh, for anybody who's not familiar with you, um, you're the man around YouTube, Twitter. Uh, you're you're one of our fellow Coinos community members. Uh, you run CoinosForum.com. And uh, yeah, you're just very active in the community. And today we're talking about the state of Coinos, kind of going over where things are at and uh, what you and I have publicly uh, talked about and committed to in terms of adding to that ecosystem. Yeah, I think um, the last time you had someone who was Coinos uh, centric on the podcast, I think was one of the uh, team members, right? Yeah, I think I had Andrew last. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think you had Andrew for that second run. Mm -hmm. Since then, um, there's been a lot of stuff going on. I mean, we've got that Coinos talk going on on uh, every two-week basis, which we're revamping uh, to yep. kind of make it more publicly accessible. Um, and uh, there's just been a lot of stuff going on. We had V3 come out, governance smart contract come out. Uh, Proof of Burn is pretty much out if you look at GitHub. Um, and yep. we're a lot further... Uh, than when you started, I think in December of 21, something like that, right? Yeah, the podcast dropped in December. I did start the newsletter in, in November last year. So we've been we've been going strong for a little while here. Um, yeah, you're right. There's been a ton of developments. And then just to clarify what you mean by proof of burn is basically out, <laughs> the team has finished development of the proof of burn contracts and system and all that. Um, and they have it running internally on like their own test nets. And if anybody wanted to spin up a new Coinos uh, blockchain test net, whatever, uh, it would have proof of burn built into it if you use the latest code. Uh, test net V3 Harbinger doesn't have it on there yet. So I've heard talk that V4 is coming for test net yep. and that's gonna come with a few different contract upgrades and uh, performance things and improvements to the, to the framework itself so yeah and for anyone who mined uh i know a couple of people who mined millions of uh, v3 testnet tokens unfortunately that's all going to go down the drain i was uh, hoping to be able to uh, i know we talked about this uh in one of those uh impromptu discourse sessions where you could basically uh hot swap proof of work with proof of uh, burn using the governance smart contract and you could probably pull that off on v3 but it'd be complicated and kind of pointless so I think probably that V4 relaunch is going to be the best bet. For sure. Uh, also, the team launched uh, a new unified white paper, which is good to yes. see. Um, you put out a video going through it. Uh, any particular takeaways from that that you know were maybe a, a change from a previous version or, or one of the, the split? Well, I mean, I, I started with um, the first video I ever did was a mono white paper, a mono white paper breakdown. Uh, and that white paper obviously got blended into the new white paper now. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to make a cohesive video with every single part in it, but the white paper is actually very, very in-depth. 
Uh, right. Andrew uh, and you know whoever he was working with did a great job in writing that white paper. It was very easy to understand, but there's still some areas that I got hung up on, um, especially the proof of uh, burn section. So if you're interested, I, I guess we can um, you know somehow link to the YouTube video for part one of that breakdown. But as I was reading through it, um, the, I hadn't even got to the part yet, but the proof of burn is very interesting because yesterday uh, Julian came out and started asking some questions about possible attack vectors of proof of burn. It's obviously a new consistent mechanism, right? Um, and we, we really have to wrap our heads around how complicated it is, or really it's not as complicated as something like proof of stake is. Um, but so, some big things, I mean, it's so, actually, let me just, let me go get that white paper. I have it right here right now real quick. All right, so in this white paper, I think the part that you really want to focus on if you were to read this one is the abstract. The abstract is by itself. It's very short, and it does so much to kind of explain where you're going with uh, Coinos. And if someone reads the abstract, I don't think they would have a choice but to read the entire white paper. Um, and, you know, I go through each section by section in that video. Uh, inflation, deflation is also a great thing because there's a lot of people out there who believe that burning tokens is good for the economy. Um, the token supply and distribution is also something that you can probably write a whole paper about because Coinless is probably the most decentralized launch token. And if it becomes a big hit, it would be up there with Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, short of actually uh, releasing a mining um, software or algorithm that did not require Ethereum, you're pretty much doing what exactly what Bitcoin did. The forkless upgradability is becoming more and more important in my eyes because you know, I, I asked that question in that video. Um, is there such a thing as perfection? And mm -hmm. you know, I, at first I thought, no, there's nothing that's perfect, right? But then if nothing is perfect, if you have the ability to try and be perfect, isn't that good enough? Right. And so with Coinos, the, the mere fact that it can try to become as perfect as possible, and even though it can never get there, it's a huge uh, plus compared to any other blockchain out there. Then yeah. you know, universal language support, um, that's, it's a cool thing when you when you first think about it, but the reality is, I think that every other blockchain will eventually adopt the same thing because um, it's a clear winner. Uh, WebAssembly Virtual Machine is a clear winner. It's going to be adopted in practically every single blockchain upgrade in the future, um, including Ethereum 2.0, I think. So, it, it, and if you really think about it, the people who build on Ethereum you know, 2.0 using the WebAssembly Virtual Machine. By the time that happens, if it ever does happen, they'll have an alternative. They can deploy their bytecode onto Coinos with little work. Um, and they should be able to get all the benefits of Coinos uh, on a smart contract they originally intended for Ethereum. But I'm only halfway through the white paper. I'm going to release the other half of the video. Um, but it's a great, great white paper to go through. Um, easy oh. to understand. No math. <laughs> Always a good thing. Um, yeah. So. You mentioned like the the perfection aspect, and I think it's important to say, um, and and we've talked about this a bunch of times in a lot of different venues. That the team understands that they are not perfect, and the systems they build can have flaws as a result. So they build systems that are, you know, evolving or upgradable. And I think the term they've used for a long time is infinitely upgradable. Yep. And basically, all that means is that. If you wanted to upgrade consensus or change consensus out entirely, like say proof of burn is terrible for some reason, and they say, ah, we got to swap it out with proof of work or proof of stake or whatever. Um, you know, with blockchains that have tried to change consensus algorithms to date, Ethereum, for example, that is a huge undertaking. 
on Coinos, it's just a matter of uploading a new smart contract, putting out a, a proposal uh, through governance and getting a passing vote. So it's a way simpler process to upgrade even core elements like consensus. There's very few things, or at least as few things as possible, that uh, require a hard fork offline uh, instead of going through governance for, for upgrades. So that's, you know, that's a, another beautiful part about that is, is simply how well the architecture of Kornos really is. Because if you think about um, how applications become um, features on a blockchain, right? They all come through smart contracts. Every blockchain out there, you add features by creating smart contracts. But the unique thing about Coinos, and, and they're not you know, writing the, the, the new rule book on this, but what they're really doing is that they're applying that principle of features as smart contracts on every single level. Um, and this is why, I mean, a lot of people probably don't actually know this, right? But there's a reason why there's a version of uh, ETH out there. And it's mm -hmm. also an ERC20 token, also named ETH out there. And that's because Ethereum itself, the native token is built on the chain, but it's not an ERC20, so it doesn't retain certain properties. Yeah. There's these, you know, there's WETH and ETH. Why are there two? Well, that's because one of them is actually a smart contract with the ERC20 standard. Here, coin token itself is also a smart contract, I believe. Um, yeah. But it's system level, not user right. level. Right. Uh, then you have proof of burn and governance. So you see this concept where smart contracts are uh, deployed as features on every single level. And that's the unique thing about Coinos compared to anything else. Right. And that doesn't get a lot of press because, you know, that that's a hard thing to to compare other blockchains to. Um, there was there was a thread recently by by Dan Larimer. Uh, oh, yesterday's thread. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where and Dan's from the, the Steam community and he, he he built a lot of things over there, um, and so and so he's worked with the the Coinos group before on on different projects. He's moved over to EOS and he's working on some social applications there now. Yep. Um, but so he had some uh, some analysis basically comparing EOS, uh, Coinos, and I think Steam as well, um, and basically. It seemed to me that he was going mostly into like the features, right? Comparing why Mana is or is not a good system, why this feature of Coinos is good or bad, proof of burn, all that. And that's typically where uh, comparisons and, and contrasting is drawn of the actual like features and implementation of the things, because that's where you can you can make a direct comparison with other blockchains. But the the trick is that if Quinos launches and they decide, oh, you know what, Dan or whoever was right, this feature we chose to implement isn't very good, and the one they have is clearly better, then we change. <laughs> and it's not a multi-year process to do it. Yeah, that, you know, something like that took probably a whole decade to figure out. Even yeah. though it seems like it's rational to do right now, the reality of it is, is that these systems, like when I say systems, I mean, I mean blockchain systems were built, but they were built with no particular solution in mind, right? And so a lot of what's uh, been put out there, like Steam, EOS, Ethereum, now Coinos, Coinos is, I think at this point, able to target the consumer's actual problem, right? Mm -hmm. And we, we know what the problem is right now. We know that it's accessibility, it's fees. It's difficulty in creating applications. And then even when you look at all of the uh, community members here, we're talking about, hey, what app would be great to build? 
Right. Well, the first thing you look at is, well, what app would benefit from blockchain? And we really haven't uh, discovered uh, the potential yet. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that people can't get access to the systems and you can't get access to systems if you don't have an opinion to form other than this really sucks, I don't want to use it, right? right. Um, so, you know, I read Dan's article yesterday um, and there's a couple of takeaways uh, that I thought were, were kind of uh, important. The first one was that um, he focused on how people are eventually going to lease Mono. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's going to be the case. That's my general opinion. I believe that's going to be a good thing. But he frames it in a way where he's saying, at best, people may just delegate uh, Mono to each other. I mean, well, that's still a far cry better than where we are now, right? Yeah. At this point in time, if you want access to blockchain systems, you have to go and get the Ethereum or whatever token, gas, gas token you want to pay for fees. Mm. But imagine you had a mono system that had a monthly subscription that was like maybe a dollar, two dollars a month, and you can get all you want out of it. That's mm -hmm. a great thing. And so I don't really frame that as a con. It's actually a really good situation. The only problem is that he did bring mention to uh, one particular issue, and that is that because there are going to be people who have outsized holdings of the token, they may end up causing the mana cost for transactions to go up, mm. right? Because people who have the ability to bid it up, they will bid it up because it's at no cost to them. Um, sure. However, I think the important counter to that is the fact that the launch of Coinos was completely decentralized. So the majority, you know, and the reality is I don't know the answer to this, right? But I want to believe that the majority of people have interest in seeing Coinos succeed. Whereas if you had launched in a very, very centralized way, like family and friends only, that maybe they don't understand blockchain, they may be, they may be incentivized to really look at uh, holding tokens as a profit, as a way to make money. Right. Whereas here, it's clear that the community is really in it to, to see it grow because um, they've been token holders of other projects and they see some kind of vision and, they, and they're really aligned with the way uh, Coinos wants to deliver uh, its product. So it's a very interesting kind of dynamic between uh, what we know from the past and you know, what happens when you allow people to to game the system, and uh, what the kind of the community sees right now, which are all you know token holders. Right, for sure. Yeah, and it it's important to note that mana or coin or whatever, it's all an open market, right? So even if somebody with an outsized holding um, influences the price. If there are enough other people or dApps that are also influencing the price in a downward direction, then that can offset that. Um, granted, a lot of people will be seeking profit, so he could be absolutely right. But we have a lot of levers to pull, and I know you and I like we're uh, we're putting together a burn pool where kind of our mission and, and the profit we make off of that is going to go toward solving this problem, basically. And we want to make sure that people have access to mana without you know, having to fork over an arm and a leg. Yeah, I mean, so the burn pool, let's talk about that. That's, that's a pretty interesting thing because um, we announced a couple of months ago that we were going to do a burn pool. Um, and I, I think the highlight thing about the burn pool is that burn pools play a role in governance as well. And so if there is something that needs to be changed in the blockchain, if there's something that uh, people are aligned with, they will most likely voice that opinion through a burn pool. And so there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's not just, you know, mining on the blockchain. There's this whole governance situa situation with it. And on top of that, as, you know, pretty public faces for this project in terms of the, on the community side, at least. Yeah. Um, I think that we generally have, um, the interests of Coinos in mind and the projects that we want to work on, although we're not super clear on what they are yet because you know Coinos hasn't really launched yet, 
in order to get people aligned with our mission, um, we have to be able to kind of give them a way to express how they align with others, right? And so we're not going to be only people running a burn pool. There will be others. I don't know who they will be. But certainly, if you you know are aligned with our vision and our vision is aligned with the, the direction that Qantas has taken, then you would want to uh, you know basically join our burn pool. And that would uh, kind of like prevent you or not require you to run uh, a node at your house running 24-7, which, you know, may be difficult and frustrating to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's making things simpler for each other. It's engaging in governance on your behalf. Um, and it, it's, it, yeah, we're, we're going to make a little bit of money off of it. But anybody who's participating is going to get the lion's share of their profits. Um, and if you're a small player without a whole lot of coin, participating in a burn pool is a great way to smooth out your uh, your return, right? Because you know if you have five percent of all coin in in a burn pool, then you're going to produce roughly five percent of the blocks. Whereas if you only have you know a few thousand coin or less and you try to run your own node, you have a very small percentage chance of, of producing any blocks. So, right. yeah. And, and that goes heavily. So if you look at the white paper, right, there's one line that explains all of that. Uh, ultimately, how you get rewarded is by writing blocks and how you get selected to write blocks. It's not that you get selected, but um, the qualification to write a block is to produce the lowest hash. And the biggest, biggest impactful way to generate that hash the lowest hash is dividing by the virtual hash power that your machine has, right? And so at the end of the day, if you're aligned with a miner who has the largest VHP stake, mm -hmm. um, then they're more likely to be the prime producer of blocks. Uh, right. And and but the other thing is also, what if that block producer isn't aligned with you? What if that block producer is selecting things or doing things with that profit that you're not, uh, you know, okay with? What do you do? You just pull your right. your share out of that. And that's where the community really kind of um, has the power. Uh, if, if say, like we we have some kind of issue and you're on one side of the fence, I'm on the other side of the fence, well, the community is going to either say that, hey, Luke is the guy I want to uh, uh, put my tokens with, or Kui is the guy I want to move my tokens to. And right. they can express that by by selecting the mining pool that best represents um, their alignment and their view of the Kronos blockchain, which is, I think, a very powerful thing. Um, For sure. But, but on top of that, on top of that, um, we I think we got the updated number. Um, so there was floating around 50% or 10%, but the reality is that the inflation rate now on Coinos is 2%. It's a small number, but I actually really, really like that it's a small number um, because now it means that if you're going to mine, you're not going to be generating outrageous returns, like 15 20%. And I think that has a lot to do with how people view how uh, what mining does. Because right. certainly if you were getting 10%, you would probably, you know, just milk this thing and sell it into the ground, right? Right. But when you have two percent, okay. Well, you know, if I have ten thousand tokens, right, two percent is not a lot, right? So what do right. I do with that? What if I leave it in the hands of someone who can actually turn my token shares value up, not that not generate more yield, but increase the value of the token because this mining pool is going to support projects that help the ecosystem grow. I think that's way more valuable and probably the, the the most valuable thing that a mining pool can do for you. Yeah, for sure. And I think early on, that'll be enough inflation to incentivize yeah. participation. Because, um, you know... In mining or, or in the ecosystem? In, in mining, because there's not going to be any other, at least immediately, like obvious ways to get a return 
on uh, on your coin, right? I mean, you can participate in our in the decks and as a liquidity provider and reap a little bit of fees on trades there. But early, there's not going to be a high volume of trades, so there's low competition for high yield, right? Um, eventually, when we get like uh, a loan platform and and other things and and more engagement, there will be other ways for people to chase you know a higher return. And at that point, Coinos might need to bump up the inflation rate, but it, they might find that there's still plenty of participation to secure the network. Um, so yeah, it's just a matter of observing the the state of the network and and uh, adjusting that number to ensure security. Yeah, it, it, honestly, um, two percent. I mean, I think two percent might not be enough for someone to like say, "Hey, I'm going to participate." Uh, for, so, so my experience comes from Steam, right? Uh, it's an interesting thing. I was making this video for YouTube um, that I just recently released, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not a professional YouTuber, so I'm still kind of working on presentation and all those and storytelling all that stuff. But I wanted to really share my experience with Steam, so I I, I did this video where uh, I talked about uh, some of the experiences I had, and one of the things that kind of came up was the fact that um, sometimes I just lose my train of thought. Uh, but as, as a Steam user, right, like I did not actually participate in many things that Steam allowed me to participate in. I didn't really participate in governance. Uh, there were times where I didn't even power up my tokens um, mm -hmm. because the only way you can actually generate a yield was to power up tokens. Right. Um, and the reality was that like the, the, the average yearly yield was something like 9%, but it didn't really impact my account all too much. And mm -hmm. so it, didn't, it wasn't a deciding factor in whether or not uh, I powered up my Steam. What was a deciding factor was um, the upvoting because when you upvote, you actually got a lot, a larger outsized portion of, of Steam. So if you right. produce content, you can generate more Steam than actually um, you get from uh, from not mining but from staking. Right. So right. The, I think the biggest value you can have or you can you can uh, you can impact in terms of coin is to produce some work. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're at this early stage in the blockchain, the more effort you put into you know. Uh, project or content building, um, or just talking about the, the potential and connecting with people, that probably will do way more for you than you can ever imagine because you're, right. you know, basically in a, such a low price right now, and there's nothing on the blockchain at all. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And and I think that gets back to you and I have talked about the the cold start problem, uh, book by Andrew Chan, uh, Chan, I think it is. Yeah. Um, where Basically, there's a hard side of any network, right? So on mm -hmm. Steam, they were building everything in-house. And so because it's not like a DAP platform, it's a social network, um, there wasn't a need to attract like developers to come in and build things. They were just doing all of that. So what they needed was content creators. That's how you keep people engaged, keep the, the ecosystem healthy. So by structuring the incentives, to favor popular content creators, that's how you fuel that. On Coinos, um, you want some uh, some participation in in mining, burn pool or whatever, and, and that's true on any blockchain. Um, but in theory, the the community is strong enough right now, and the competition for for yield production uh, is low enough that they're not anticipating a need to go higher than that 2% initially. 
but even if they're wrong about that, they can adjust the number at, at any point. You bring a really good point up, actually. Um, you know, Coinos is shipping this product that's extremely raw. I mean, mm -hmm. you could pretty much do anything you want on it, right? And I, I generally think that the user retention problem, there's a solution that's obvious for, for blockchain users, but right. it hasn't been fully implemented yet. Sure. Right. You can, we know right now that you can use a blockchain without ever buying any tokens. It's not this fluff that people are talking about because on, on Steam, for example, and you can see in the YouTube video, you can actually make a Steam account. You know, they'll pay for the cost of creating, creating the account, but of course it's free. But you can use the blockchain without ever holding any tokens and start generating Steam. In fact, the first crypto tokens I ever held was not Bitcoin or Ethereum, which is what most people uh, experience. They bought it through Coinbase or Binance or something. Mm -hmm. But if you go on Steam, your first token would have been Steam and you would have not touched Ethereum or Bitcoin, which is an underrated statement because that's just not how 99.9% .9 of people have experienced blockchain. And so they create this vacuum, um, this place where people have to come in and fill a lot of these gaps, have to solve that last leg of the puzzle. Right. right? And it creates a huge opportunity for people to come in and solve some of these problems and create businesses around them. Mm -hmm. And so I think the biggest thing with uh, with Coinbase right now is the fact that they are probably opening the door for entrepreneurs bigger than ever before. Because on every single project on Ethereum, on AVAX, on Matic, you create some type of project, right? And what's the first thing you have to do? Well, you got to get people onto the blockchain first before they even try your stuff out, right? right. And so there's this massive user retention problem on, on these uh, uh, on these other chains. So I think they're really creating an opportunity for entrepreneurs. And I think that's probably where you're going to find um, a lot of people saying, hey, if they have solved that user retention problem for me, I can actually go on this blockchain and create some application that can benefit the users that don't have to figure out how to get tokens. Right, um, right. That's where the value add is massive. Uh, and I yeah. think, yeah, and you know, even going with that you know, idea, the biggest thing that you can get from Coinos, I think it's really important, is the fact that, you know, I think people are going to want to try Coinos, and the fact that they want to try it and they can try it is going to be massive for the for, for blockchain space in general. So right, yeah, this is a super important concept. Let me try to put it another way, just so mm -hmm. we can make sure that this gets through. Um, with every other blockchain, if you want to use the blockchain, run a DApp, transfer tokens, buy tokens, whatever, um, somebody has to pay the the gas cost in tokens for that thing whatever it is you're doing um so if you're buying tokens for the first time typically you're going through a centralized exchange because they already have a hoard of tokens and they'll just let you transfer it to wherever you want to go and they'll cover the the gas costs i mean typically they they charge you a fee for those services and all that but but yeah you're buying in and now you have some tokens and that's a prerequisite to being able to do anything so at if, all, a anything at all, at all. Yeah. So if I want to play a game on a blockchain or do whatever, I have to buy tokens first. I have to be a, uh, a user of the blockchain with money in the game before I can be a user of your app. Yeah. Right. On Coinos, the, the model is flipped where you don't have to hold your own tokens. Um, and there are gas chains out there that recognize this issue. And, and um, I don't remember which where I heard this, but there, there's the, the concept of a gas station, basically, where uh, the DAP can, 
can put a whole bunch of tokens in this contract and then people that use the uh the dap without holding their own tokens it drains your balance in that account um that can get expensive really fast because you're well, actually losing money dan larimer um wrote in that article this interesting thing right it's the first time i ever thought about this way but uh, remember how i said that uh he was framing the idea of how mana prices would go the mana cost would go up because they're going to be people who have outsized amount of coin yeah and it's because that they they can obviously just bid the price up if they want a transaction to go through they can just shove a ton of mana into it because they have a lot of coin right mm -hmm. and so you get this artificial increase in mana price but he said, well, let me just do this. I'm going to require you to put a credit card to the system and I will charge you for each transaction you do. But because we know you're always going to be good for it, we can fix the transaction cost. And so the people can't bid it, right? And uh, the stability in price and transactions might be some type of secondary solution on Coinos because I think that probably will happen. People are going to bid up the price of mana. And there might be an intuitive system built so that you can make the cost of mana um, more stabilized over time and you don't have token holders that can bid it up. Um, yeah, the the bidding up part is is interesting to me because that would have to be in a secondary market for, for mana. The actual blockchain, like getting your transactions included, it's not a, a fee market, right? Like on, on Ethereum, if you want to get your transaction higher priority, you want to front run or whatever, you can bid up the gas cost and miners are incentivized to include your very expensive transaction because they get more money for that. Um, on Coinos, yeah, it's, right, on Coinos, it's an XYK market. So it's all just supply and demand. So supply of mana that's available to be included as transactions and demand for uh, for network resources. So if you're like, there's no way to bid up. It's just first in, first out for transactions. Um, so the the actual, you know, the, the spikes or, or increases in mana costs will come with network demand, but it's not strictly like, I can't just say, I want to do this and I want to spend 10,000 mana where everybody else is spending two and jack up prices for everybody. Um, there's no way to do that. So yeah, yeah. not directly. I mean, it, it gets into an interesting thing because what if you had some type of uh, attack that was completely irrational, mm -hmm. right? Because this is, the, this is the problem with blockchain. It's fully open. Anybody can access it. And because of that reason, uh, you know, as a kid, I remember just poking holes in things for the mere fact that I could, right? Yeah. And so it's possible that people begin to test the network in ways that it's just not rational to do. For sure. And that's where you get these interesting case scenarios, these fringe cases that can make or break the system. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that one of the unique things is that it's more likely that Coinos can respond to these uh, attacks in, right. a, in a quicker way because it's happened to Ethereum. It's happened to Tron, it's happened to EOS, it's happened to every single blockchain by the mere fact that they're public systems, right? right. And it's going to be very interesting, interesting to see how Coinbase responds to it because they, it's my belief, at least, that they can respond faster than any other blockchain out there. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is that we don't know what these are going to be. So right. it's going to be an right. interesting kind of time in the future. Yeah, it, always emergent properties with any new system. So that'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, so the, the point was, though, that with entrepreneurs coming in and looking to build on any blockchain the difference is if you're if you're looking at ethereum or 
AVAX or whatever, you're considering um, how large the community is that's already using the blockchain because that's your, your user pool. You're capped at how many people are using the blockchain. So if you want more people to use your dApp, they might find you first, but they have to go through the blockchain, get tokens, get on board before they can come to you. Um, so that's additional friction in user onboarding compared with Coinos, where the size of the, like, you know, how many token holders there are isn't actually relevant in your, uh, your decision to build on Coinos. Like, I mean, it helps, right? Token holders are already like captive audience. They want to be here. They want to try out every dApp because it's free, right? Why wouldn't I try it out? Um, so they're here. They're and they, true fans. They're, exactly. They're true fans. They're excited to play with your dApp that you're releasing. Um, but the people who are uh, off-chain don't have any tokens yet, you're not capped. <laughs> Anybody can come in, and as long as you have a, a horde of coin to to lend out mana to randos off the street you can do that and there's no cap to your your user population um and even if you don't have coin there is going to be uh systems where um you know you and i or whales in the coinless community burn pools any various sources of coin um can be delegated or you know however that's going to shape up uh to people so they can use your dap without even you as the dap developer needing to hold coin yourself that's uh so you know that that really is this co like core competency problem right the people who use blockchain now you could probably grade them in this uh in like almost like a c right where you yeah. can say okay well there's a group of people and it's going to be a standard bell curve that know how to use blockchain to some basic level, you know, mm -hmm. access wallets, they know how to move, uh, secure the private key easily. Then you have like the fringe cases where there are guys who know how to use the blockchain really well and they can game the crap out of DeFi. I mm -hmm. mean, these guys are playing DeFi like it's, you know, uh, like literally it's a game. Right. And then you have the other case where people are getting scammed and they're losing their private keys and they're getting front run, front run by bots. And so this huge user spectrum exists right now on blockchain. And right. that's the barrier right now. That's the, the minimum competency in order to use blockchain is rather high. And even within that level of competency, there's people who are extreme and DeFi users generating, uh, doing uh, uh, yield farming. And then there are people getting hacked on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. In order to get blockchain down, you really got to bring that the competency level like really, really low where people don't have to be exposed to some of these security risks. But right. then, I, so this is a question. Here's a good question for you. Um, mm -hmm. And it's something that I ask all the time, right? Why would someone even use a blockchain if they could use a blockchain? <laughs> it's such a hard question to answer at this point in time. Why would someone use a blockchain if they could use a blockchain? Yeah, I mean, think about it. Think about it. Consider, consider how it is right now. Why would someone use a blockchain even though they can't figure out even how to use one? But then imagine you lower that barrier down, right? To mm -hmm. the point where um, you can easily access the blockchain and say, you want to use my application. And all you yep. gotta do is go to this website and bam, wallet, mana, I do it all for you, right? Right. Why would I use that particular app? Like what is, is it something engaging? Is it a game? Is it something about social aspect? Is it my belief in the fact that we need to have decentralized systems? Do I wanna right. own profiles? Like what's the motivating factor uh, to, to even do any of this stuff? Because to me that answer hasn't been fully answered yet. 
And yeah. we're really just kind of like throwing darts in the wall. I mean, look at social media, for example, right? Um, I was on this website called minds.com, right? Mm -hmm. It's a social media website that's kind of like a mix between Medium and Twitter and Facebook and kind of all kind of hashed together. Mm -hmm. And Minds ultimately is a centralized company. Right. If I had to choose between Facebook and a decentralized Facebook, is that enough for me to jump? Or does it have to be something that's so unique where the, the decentralized social media is like a protocol, like Lens Protocol is a really good example of this. And, and I think they run on AVAX, but it's a protocol for social, for social aspects but it isn't any particular social application. Just like Steam. Steam it was the front end to the Steam blockchain, but anybody could use a Steam blockchain for social media. So you end up getting like peaked, three speak, DTube. Um, at one point there was something called utopia.io, but there's all these communities that pop up that just leverage that blockchain to create their own version of the social media that they want to curate. And so it has to, you know, is that the level of what people need in order to make that jump? Because the reality is that if you gave me a social media on blockchain right now, I probably wouldn't use it. Hmm. Yeah, it's actually, it's a really good question. Um, I think I think you're actually approaching it from a bit of the wrong direction though, hmm. because the, the challenge right now is that it's hard, right? It's hard to build on blockchain, it's hard to use blockchain, it's hard to put up money to even be able to engage in that activity. Um, but as that gets easier, it becomes a question of, well, why, why not, right? And for end users, I don't think they're gonna care enough initially. For builders, that's where it's gonna matter. If you're looking to build an app that's meaningful, a website, whatever, then you need to build your, your front end, whether that's like a mobile app or a website or whatever, and then you need to have servers and databases and all of these centralized components that are expensive. And typically you're going to go through AWS or something and you're going to have a bill every month for those things. So you need to make enough money from your users to foot that bill and make a little profit. Um, building on a blockchain and having the blockchain be your entire backend for your app, that changes things because you don't have to pay for the resources. You got to pay to like upload your contract. Um, but like the people who are spending their mana to store things on the blockchain, to interact with your app. They're the ones that are really footing the, the cost of, uh, of storage, of CPU and all that. So whether that's you holding coin and, and delegating it to your users or somebody else or people who actually hold coin and you know, using their mana for, for interacting with your app themselves instead of delegating it to other people, that's where um, you, know, you can cut your own costs. So now that you have a cheaper option for building out your app, uh, why else would you use it? Well, if you are uh, looking to build like social features or ownership of some asset and you're interested in having like a, a marketplace where people can trade things, mm -hmm. those sorts of features, you get all of that for free on blockchain. And all you have to do is say, this thing is an NFT. And now that it's an NFT, you've opened up a whole ecosystem of you know you can trade things you can do this you can buy stuff whatever um and you didn't have to build any of those features so if you're interested for your for your app with anything even remotely like that then not only have you saved on like recurring operations costs you've also saved on upfront development cost um so 
the the cost to to innovate now and build things that are meaningful for users is a lot lower. So that's really compelling. For the so, developer side, right? For the developer side. So now that you've built something that's compelling and it's easy to use and people don't have to buy a token initially, um, it's this it's roughly the same to these centralized services. But because your costs are lower, you don't have to make as much money from your uh, from your users. So you're you're competing on price now. So that's compelling to the to the end user. And you're able to offer additional features like you know an open ecosystem that anybody can come in and add features to. Um, you're able to offer um, a lot of um, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, <laughs> freedom for the user, right? Mm -hmm. So if they want to do things like take ownership, if they want to have censorship resistance, even if that's not like a good enough reason for them to switch from one thing to the other, over time it gets into their head through the the abundance of options that, you know, I'm looking at these two apps, one's centralized, one's decentralized. The decentralized one is a little bit cheaper and it's censorship resistant, and I like that. Um, if they're anti-censorship resistant, then, you know, they'll go pay more for the centralized option, and that's fine. Um, but having features like that that will start to become uh, more, more appealing to at least a subset of people, over time, it'll grow. And as long as you can get past that initial atomic network of having enough people that are interested based on price and based on those features that you get for free with blockchain, um, it can grow from there. So it's just getting past that first hurdle. I think that that whole um, like the like the atomic network thing, which is also from uh, the CoStar problem from Alex yeah. uh, Stephen Alex Chan and Andrew Chen. Andrew Chen. Yeah. Um, the the whole when we've kind of gone into depth with this, uh, you know, off camera and everything about the atomic network here, but you bring a really good point in terms of the fact that it's about developers creation, right? right. I, right. So from the user perspective, there really isn't any. Even if you make an outstanding product in mm -hmm. terms of a social media or a really highly usable product. It's got to be something that it's not because it's blockchain that people want to join, right? Right? Because think about a game. If you create a game that's really engaging, people are going to want to play it, right? If blockchain's attached to it, on the other hand, it's a bonus, but it isn't defining factor of why I would choose a game, one game over another. Right. However, if you are enhancing that game by doing something like an NFT drop, mm -hmm. and you do it at practically zero cost to you. Because right now, if you want to mint a whole bunch of things, right? We've seen million-dollar mints on, on Ethereum all the time. Yeah. Uh, here on on Coinos, it would be a million mono mint, but it would sure. cost you nothing. So, I think there's a huge enhancement that blockchain can give to regular products, and it will give people the opportunity to try something else or try something out that's not blockchain, but there's a blockchain component that's a feature, that's a bonus to it. Mm -hmm. Right, it's not a requirement to it, and that's how you kind of basically groom the community into saying, "Hey, well, you know, I got, you know, I bought this thing, and it came with an NFT. What do I do with it?" Right, and then at some point, everyone's going to be able to have access to it. And so, I think that from a developer standpoint, you, you, know, you probably got it spot on, but there's still this huge unknown in terms of what the consumer will be willing to take and what they're willing to do, and right. that market is in itself this is uh, a market of accessibility. Is something that's going to be highly, highly lucrative for entrepreneurs to come and fill in. That's mm -hmm. where I think this shines the most because it just wasn't available to you on Ethereum. It wasn't available to you in any other, uh, in any other blockchain, any other service. 
And so if you make that access, uh, or at least on the blockchain level, right, you make the access free, then people are going to come and fill in and make sure they create services and tools, um, uh, applications or whatever, third-party um, third apps that help bridge that gap between the person who wants to use the blockchain um, but, couldn't, but couldn't actually do it because it was too technically hard. So yeah. in that arena, yeah, I think, I think um, you're, you're, what you're probably going to end up seeing, I think, is that developers are going to iterate. They're going to create some, you know, they can create their MVPs, their minimum viable products, and they're going to be able to get responses from the consumer really quickly. Right. If I launch an MVP right on Ethereum, right, I'm only going to get responses from from ETH users, and they're going to be limited to how many transactions they can they can actually use, and so I'm going to get a limited response from them. But if I deploy this thing and I I basically rain mana on my users and let them use it for free, they can tell you know, and basically they don't have to have any um, you know cognitive barriers to try to access the blockchain. They can just go straight to using the application, and right. they can tell me like, well, you messed up here. I don't like this, and you can iterate on it because smart contracts can be upgraded. Mm -hmm. And and also the other thing is that um, it's been ten years. We generally know what should be and what should not be on a blockchain. You don't need to throw your whole application on the blockchain. Right. It wouldn't just wouldn't work, right? And then but, and here's the thing with Steam, though, right? I think Steam developers are going to have a ball day with this one because you couldn't actually write smart contracts on Steam, and so they're reliant on using JavaScript to kind of carry certain messages in a Steam message, right? Mm -hmm. And whatever's in that message is um, is going to be what they're basing their application. Uh, uh, how the how their application executes based on what's carried in that message, right? And right. so we're talking about text size uh, code, uh, not text size code, but text size comments that applications are drawing from, right? And that's that technique only available on Steam because they had no other choice, right? Right? You couldn't run code on Steam, so you had to do a lot of backdoor thinking. And that creativity, I think, is what's really, what's really powerful with a zero fee system. Um, you're going to be forced to be super creative with it, and um. I'm wondering what that creativity is going to lead to, but in the scope of that, I think that the best thing that we can do as uh, community members or as people who are entrepreneurs that are interested in building on Coinos is to kind of solve and fill that gap of accessibility because Coinos has done a lot of the work for us and we just got to take it the rest of the way. And then once you create that infrastructure level stuff, you can come in and start you know, creating some games, creating some applications that you know, we can't even think of right now. Uh, social media might actually be viable on uh, on blockchain um, at that point. Yeah, yeah, I think it is going to be viable. It's just a matter of having uh, a good design, right? And and that's the the real key here with with Coinos and with anything that you're building on blockchain. You really want to have few opinions <laughs> because you want to have flexibility, right? So if you impose really strict opinions about monetization of social uh, posting and upvotes and all that, then for people who just want to use a social app and don't want to worry about how much money they're making, uh, you know, because it's probably pennies. Um, in most cases, yeah, people yeah, aren't. in most cases. Like people are just using social. It's not going to be a whole lot of money for them. So they're not, they're not too interested in that. People who make it a career care about monetization uh, or people who are doing it enough religiously to you know try to offset their income a little bit or something but for most people social would be impeded by the introduction of uh of monetization so by leaving a lot of your opinions out of the very base layer social you you create the opportunity for people to come in and layer on those abstractions in specific circumstances and you can do it yourself you can add 
monetization as a layer for people who want to opt into that part of it, but leave it out of the base layer. Keep your keep your opinions as high up the uh, the stack of decisions <laughs> as can as makes sense, right? That way you're a lot more flexible. And if people want to use your social app for something totally off the wall, that's fine. And if they want to use it for something that's right in line with how you imagine they'd use it, that's great. It's just a matter of giving optionality. And that's really the ethos behind Coinos that really drives the, the potential for innovation because it's designed to be less designed than other blockchains. It, it in itself is, an, is almost like an infrastructure product. I mean, let, um, let me go back a little bit about the whole monetization of, of users on social media, right? This is another thing we've talked about a bunch of times. If you mm -hmm. look at Steam, for example, monetization is at the core of that platform. You can monetize at the instant you're a user, right? It doesn't matter whether you have um, very, very, very small dust amount of tokens or you're a whale. You create content and you get reward for it. But what ended up happening was that the majority of users, I think, uh, I forgot what stat I saw, but like 80% of Steam users um, earn a buck or less, right? right? 85% or something like that, something ridiculous. And so you're incentivized to produce you know, content on a shitty level. I mean, not to knock content makers, right? It's not easy. Yeah, yeah. Creating content is, to put yourself out there as, an, uh, as a content creator, it's like the modern day artist, right? Like you're basically right. telling the world, how how much of a novice you are, and it's embarrassing. It's hard to make. It's time consuming. You know, you know, it, it's just it's it's a lot. And so I'm yeah. not not those guys at all. What I'm just really trying to say is that if you're focused on making money on social media before the actual usage of that platform, right? If I'm sharing photos on Instagram because I'm trying to monetize, versus I'm sharing photos because I love taking uh, taking photos and share photography, you're going to get a completely different user experience. And so it's super important for someone who 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 wants to climb that ladder to be able to climb a ladder and make better content and get monetized for it. You should make it challenging for them because that's how you get good content. The best right. content is created by people who put an outsized effort in creating it, right? Like, exactly. you know, for example, everyone has a phone. Mm -hmm. Everyone can take a video, right? And you have all these grades of quality. You can have a TikTok level where TikTokers are basically, I'm gonna turn this phone on and I'm just gonna do something because it's super accessible for me. I can upload it with minimal editing. Then you have YouTube where you have to, you can spend 20 hours, right? Building a five minute video on YouTube. Right. Because you can plan it, you have to shoot it, you have to edit it. Um, you know, there's a story you're trying to tell. It's very complicated. And so that's available to you on all different levels. But on YouTube, um, in order to get there, you have to hit certain numbers. You've got to produce. 4,000 hours of watch video. You got to get 1,000 subscribers, right? And it takes a lot of work to do that. Um, and that work is what I want you to do. I want you to put in that work to become a high quality content creator. Mm -hmm. And so when you remove that need, uh, when you remove the financial aspects of social media from the core of it, like in what Steam did, then I think that you can get people to start using social media in a way where they're using it because they're getting some benefit from decentralization. They're getting some benefit from ownership of their data, right? And, and I think that might be the jump that triggers people to come over to a uh, blockchain-based social media because today, I mean, you, you, how many hacks has there been? How many you know, uh, identity deaths have there been? Um, people complain all the time. I mean, Facebook basically is abandoned. Like, who actually uses Facebook anymore? I don't know anybody. I mean, I still have an account, but who uses Facebook? Come on. Your mom uses it. <laughs> My mom uses WeChat, actually. Oh, okay. It's right. the second most popular app in the world because of the, yeah. you know, how, many, uh, how many people are in Asia. Yeah. But the reality is that 
you know, young generations, they're not, they're not using these applications, right? Because their opinions and voices have changed, society, cultural views have changed. And they think that shift is, is probably going to be the biggest trigger for people to jump into blockchain, but you have to present it in a way where it's not like, hey, own tokens and you're going to become rich, join my social media application. It's, it's got to be something more along the lines of join this platform because you are not a user of the platform. You have an identity that you fully own, right? Yeah. And so that's why I think, you know, uh, earlier I brought up Minds. Minds is a centralized company that creates a uh, social media on blockchain. Well, what if you do something more like Lens Protocol, where social media is a protocol level and anybody can create their version of social media using that same same function? You know, right. um, in fact, uh, let's go into this. You uh, good segue um, on Discord. You talked a lot about uh, the Coinos address protocol, the cap. Yeah. Right, which is the equivalent of ENS, and that's been like rolling in my mind for the past like two weeks. About, uh, I mean, you're probably uh, better at explaining it. So, why don't you uh, kind of explain to us what CAP is? <laughs> sure. I think CAP, your, your idea of CAP is like super, super cool. By the way, I mean, like the fact that you can own profiles um, yeah, yeah, yeah. for free is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, if you're not familiar with ENS, um, Ethereum name it, service. Yep, Ethereum name service. It's basically like these .eth names. So it, you you get an NFT and you pay like an annual fee for it in the same way you pay for like a .com or any other uh, URL domain. Um, but it's stored on blockchain and there's no centralized entity. Uh, now granted, it's an NFT, so why are you paying an annual fee? <laughs> uh, there's, uh, there's competitors as well. Like there's unstoppable domains as one where their, I believe their products are not like an annual recurring thing. You buy it, it's yours. Um, now the, the problem with, with anything like this, where you're buying a name, you know, I can't get Luke.eth because somebody else owns it. So, uh, I have to resort to some other name, right? So there's sometimes people buy the name that you wanted and they're going to use it for themselves and it's going to be their identity on the blockchain or, you know, their.com or whatever. They can park themselves in some name that they have no relation to for the mere fact that they think they can sell it in the future. Exactly. So there's going to be speculation because there's just a natural limit to what names are available and some are going to be more popular and all that. So with any of these systems, there's going to be um, some of that going on. Uh, so my my concept here is Coinos Address Protocol, which is similar to like a .eth. Um, the way I have it in mind is that instead of being Luke.eth, it would be K-A-P colon slash slash Luke. Um, so similar to like, you know, your HTTP in your browser or any other protocol, um, people are somewhat familiar with that, uh, that scheme. Doesn't really matter, it's just kind of a, a detail of the implementation. The reason I am considering that is because I want the, the name that you buy to be a top level domain. So if you want Luke, then you can make, you know, <laughs> Willis.Luke and you own that too. And it doesn't matter because it's a subdomain of your, your top level domain. So right now, if I, like I own LukeWillis.com, I can go set up another web page at podcast.LukeWillis.com and I own that as well because it's under the umbrella of, of the top level domain. Um, so the same concept applies here, but you can actually own like the the com c o m, and then you could you could sell NFTs that are loop.com uh, or whatever, 
and that would all be within the Klonos address protocol. Um, so, so you can issue subdomains for yourself. You can sell them to other people. You can just like never create any subdomains. That's fine. Um, it's up to you how you want to use that. So the the benefit of that is that each of these levels, whether it's a top level domain or a subdomain, um, you can structure the pricing in a very different way. So my my thought is that top level domains are really where the action's at, right? That's where people are going to want to speculate. That's where there's value. Um, and you know, if I want to build a DAP, let's, let's say a game, right? And I am going to be issuing NFTs as items or metaverse land or whatever. Um, then I could issue those as subdomains of my game's top level domain. So if my game is called Block World, then let's say I buy Cap Block World, and that is the top level domain. Then I could sell, um, you know, land within my my community, and it would automatically have a named identity. So, you know, whether it's like the address of the thing or, um, you know, if you get to name it after yourself and you want Luke.blockworld or whatever, then that's all possible. And so uh, the you, you get identifiers within your world um, kind of as a built-in capability of this design. <clears throat> so, so that's like at a, at a high level, the, the way it's, I'm thinking of it. Um, and it's a lot of use cases though in, right. in that. So just, just to clarify, yeah. when you get that cap address, right? Mm -hmm. um, what you're really doing is putting that information into an NFT. It's yeah. a string that exists on the NFT. NFTs are you know, non-fungible tokens that have customizable data inside of it. And so what you're doing is you're just putting that customized data into NFT and then putting it into a wallet. Right. And so correct me if I'm wrong here, because this is the part where, where like it, it kind of gets me like excited. But you're basically saying that you can identify people based on NFT ownership, not right. by a wallet address. Right. And what I'm getting to that is that it's human readable names. Yes. Right. Yep. And human readable names are like I mean, I said it in that in my last video. Once you go human readable names, you almost just can't go back. Right. Right. Because if you've ever used Steam or Hive, um, you even use human readable names to send tokens. I mean, everybody know who's deep, who, who deep crypto eight is at this right. point, right? <laughs> biggest account. Um, but if you have human readable names, it allows you to do a lot of unique things because we as human beings, everything we do is about identifying people in a way we understand. I mean, hell, do you even remember somebody's phone number anymore? Aside from like your mom and dad, right? No. Address no. books have taken over your entire life. And what right. address books are, are basically a human readable name version of a structured number database. Exactly. Yep. Right. And that this is the same exact application of that. It and the trick is really that because this is an extensible system where anybody can get a subdomain or a top-level domain or whatever, you only need to create the um the integrations that support this uh human readable name structure once. So, you know, if I want to add a browser plugin or build it into um the Condor wallet. So that in your browser, you can type kap colon slash slash and whatever, and have it pop up with a web page through whatever system that is. Um, or if I want to add in the Coinos CLI the ability to do transfers to human readable names that are issued as NFTs, those are features that I need to implement. 
So I implement it in all the different places, whatever those are. And now if you want to transfer money to Luke, you just say Luke <laughs> and you don't exactly. have to, you don't have to figure out, um, what my address is or go look that up. You know what my name is. You know, I own that NFT. So you're done. Um, the, the, the coolest thing about this, like there's, there's actually like two parts that like even get like deeper into this little rabbit hole for, yeah. for steam accounts were not free you yep. had to pay for accounts right but they were subsidized by by steam and inc and you got human readable names through steam when you were when you were on that platform and it's like all right great you get human readable name it's free you don't really respect it that much because you didn't you know get much for it but then you go to ethereum on the other hand right and accounts are free but they're just addresses right and so you get this ens service but i think if you look at twitter and you see somebody that says dot eth right that's because they own that um that extension on ens uh on the ens system and twitter actually has a way to verify that you can actually get that name through an nft right uh same way where you can load up your profile picture as a punk or as a um a board at yacht club uh, uh logo right so if you think about it on ethereum if you want ENS, uh, human readable names you got to pay a fee if there's a cost mm -hmm. to it and if human readable names are that important for us to help help us identify each other to help us own our profiles because I do not want to be recognized as zero X one three three seven. As cool as that is, it's way <laughs> too many numbers for me to memorize. Right. Right. Um, but in a, in in a matter of fact, Ethereum actually charges you to create accounts if you want people to actually know who the hell you are, mm -hmm. because yep. of ENS fees. Right. Because ENS is really a mapping. It's a transaction, and because it's a transaction, there's a fee attached to it. You got to pay to have these accounts. So you'll never be able to get that. Of course, there are solutions on layer two on front ends. Um, that can solve those issues for you, but it doesn't solve it at a at a layer where I can just send tokens to you know at Luke instead of you know at your crazy you know twenty whatever letter uh, address. So I think that's a very powerful tool. Um, and on top of that, you know, with subdomains you're talking about, we, you know, you can almost leverage that to create like a social network where, um, say, you and I are friends, right? Yeah. Uh, and you own um, your top level domain cap colon forward slash forward slash um, you know, Luke. Yep. And you can issue a subdomain to me, where it's Kui that Luke, and that you can tell that the subdomain there is Kui, and therefore you've issued me an NFT, and that's how we connect with each other. Sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's totally up to the DAP to decide how they want to use their subdomain. Right. Yeah. Super flexible. You can do so many things with it, and it exists as a, as a protocol, so you're not bound to a specific uh, application. You mm -hmm. can use it how you wish. Um, so I thought that was a really cool idea you had. Uh, yeah. And it's one of those infrastructure level things where you build and um, the mere fact that someone can customize who they are and own their identity online uh, might just bring them and say, hey, you know what? It costs me nothing to create a profile on Coinos and I can like change my photo and character and there might be a message board and I can just, you know, you know, shoot it with some friends and boom, that's how your first user base really grows. Right, right. Yeah, and my thought initially is that there would be some kind of auction system on top level domains to keep them scarce, you know, few just to just to reduce like squatting <laughs> on domains right you only want people really going after the top level domains if uh if they can afford it right so you want them to be available for for apps that want to come in and build an ecosystem and and use their subdomains for something meaningful and you want the name that they want to be available so you want to reduce just squatting for trying to make a profit there um and it'll still happen right like some people will will do that yeah um, it's not the end of the world either i mean right, i think yeah. 
we're used to it because our names on a particular service doesn't transfer to other protocols, right? Like my exactly. YouTube name is different from my Twitter name, different from my Gmail name. We're used to that, so it's not too exactly. crazy. Yep. Um, so, so the top level domains are going to be where kind of the action is, and you'll you'll the the protocol would make some money there, but then I'd also issue initially um, two top level domains to the protocol. So one would be like coin, so that you can sell Luke.coin or or whatever. And those would be relatively inexpensive, and there would probably be some action in terms of squatting on that. Uh, but the other one I want to have is free. <laughs> so if people want to come in and get Luke.free, have it be literally free. And all the coin that's being uh, being made through uh, auctions on top-level domains, the, the cheap .coin names, and any other profit that comes into the system, have that the mana that's available fuel people coming in and just getting names for free. So if you want your name, uh, you can get Luke.free without putting up any money. It's just available. And yeah, there's still going to be some squatting. And so you might have to get, you know, not your first choice at a name, but you want it for free. So it's there, right? And, you know, you don't have to worry about that. Um, so yeah, so those are just like the initial options. But then if other people want to come in and say, you know, I think it'd be really awesome if people had names that were .crypto or .nft or whatever, then they can, you know, hop in, in the auction and buy the NFT top level domain and then have a way for them to integrate with the uh, the KAP domain system. And, it, and you know, they can set their own price. They can you know, make it an auction system. They can have a recurring annual fee. They could have it be one-time purchase. Have it be totally flexible so that if people want to um, speculate on whether people will want subdomains under a top-level domain, then that's an opportunity for them to make some money. Go ahead, buy the top-level domain and issue it as a place for people to register uh, domains. And there's just going to be opportunities to make money uh, from people who want those subdomains, assuming there are. If there's not, then you let it expire or sell it to somebody else or whatever. Yeah, I mean, just, just go by full circle at this point, right? Like these are kind of the ideas I think are um, are great like projects to, to start off with, right? They're highly accessible for people. They're fun because you, you're only, um, you're able to own something for basically free in this case. And it, you know, you know, you and I were doing this mining pool and if you, you know, go with cap, the mining pool basically will be able to subsidize the account creation process. Right, right. Right. And that's part of the alignment that I'm talking about before where, you know, you would join our pool over another pool because we're trying to do these things for coinos. Yeah. Right. And to, to, do things for the inf at an infrastructure level to get more people onto the platform. And the more users you have on the platform, the more likely other developers are going to see that and want to deploy their application on, on that user base. And so what we're really talking about is a shift from um, non-blockchain users to blockchain users. I think that's probably the most important thing you can ever try to capture because you're kind of saturated at the point right now with the market. Everyone who's going to use blockchain at this point, they're using blockchain. And they're not really happy with the way it's set up. And if you don't give them new stuff to try out, um, it will pretty much just die. Uh, yep. And I think Coinos is coming at the perfect time where the complexity needs to get solved right now. There are people who want to get in, but you know it's the barriers too high in terms of cognitive overload and to use it. And so you come in, and then there's going to be entrepreneurs to fill in that gap, make it even more accessible than Coinos already is, and then bam, that's where you get that, you know, the hopes of mass adoption to really come into play. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, super interesting times right now.
Yeah. Good stuff. Um, I'm sure we could keep going for a long time, but we've been talking for a while, so maybe we should oh. give other time back here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess um, you know, as far as uh, Coinos talks go, um, which uh, Luke and I we do every every you know we try to do every Wednesday and Thursdays on Twitter Live Space, um, but we're we're gonna definitely try to revamp that um, and make it more. Uh, the main thing I want to have is a longer tail. Andrew, mm -hmm. Andrew kind of put it this way, where if you make content that anybody can easily access, then in the future, people will more likely access it, right? And um, Twitter spaces are great, but they don't have a long tail. Right. They have a 30-day expiration date, um, and it's not like you can search for old spaces. Uh, right. You have to go to someone's page and scroll through it. So I really want to focus on making some content out there that people can access in the future for as long as the content lives out there, um, which is the point in, in me doing a lot of YouTube videos. Um, and as we get closer to mainnet, let's just create more long tail content. For sure. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, if you're a long time listener to the podcast and you liked this, you like hearing more about Coinos, you like uh, Quee's perspective, and you want to hear more from the two of us, and sometimes more from the uh, the Coinos group and other people in the community, um, we do like like we said, we do that on on Twitter live. Uh, but we'll probably be moving that to either a separate podcast or a YouTube channel or something like that. So uh, keep an eye out. We'll be spreading that out on Twitter, Telegram, Discord, all that. So once we finalize our plans. Yeah, putting in work will always net you better results. So that's where the effort's put in, it was placed. Just put more work into what you do and you will always <laughs> get better results. This yeah. takes time. Yeah, I, I mean, that's 100% true. I, I, when I started the, uh, the newsletter and the podcast, I just wanted to learn. And now, like, there's, I can see opportunities for for making money and building things that matter. And I've built a ton of awesome relationships with people in the community through this. Um, but yeah, I've learned a ton. So if you're interested in getting involved with blockchain um, or building something or whatever, hit up me, hit up Kui. Uh, we'll we'll help you get started. Yeah. T also, there's tons of people in the community um, that are willing. To, you know, if it's don't be shy about asking for help. Absolutely. Uh, it's probably the best community I've ever seen. And I basically grew up on the internet. Um, the <laughs> community. I, it's true. I mean, like people yep. our age, right? We're yep. kind of turn of the century. And you know, we grew we grew up at a time when there was no internet and it was introduced to us. So nice. it was a wild time back then. Yep. But the Quantos community is amazing. I, I can't ask for a, a better community that kind of all are focused on pretty much the same thing. And it's their interest in blockchain and not the interest in money. Um, right. So that's and that's not to say them. there's that's not to say there's not interest in money, but it's just a different mentality. Like you and I are not paid by the Coinos group or anything. No, yes, not at all. Yes, we both hold coin. So we're incentivized to like help make that more valuable. Um, just by nature of like any, you know, holding stock, right? Uh, in a company, you you want to talk about it and get other people to buy it or, you know, help the whatever. But the there's no like like with um, what's the Cardano where there's like these oh, layered yeah levels of people promoting it because they can make more money um, through I don't know what the system is it's crazy it's, it's um, an MLM right <laughs> basically yeah um, and then you know you've got these other people who are crypto shillers and trying to you know get a bunch of money from people through, you know, like a pump and dump scheme or whatever, uh, or or maybe they're paid or there's a sponsorship through the 
the company behind the blockchain or whatever. Uh, yeah, you and I were doing this for free just because we believe in the product and we believe this is where uh, the future is headed with blockchain. So, yeah, that's that's a very powerful way to look at it. We're not here to sell tokens. Um, and if you don't want to buy a token, that's fine. It's totally okay with me. Yeah. Um, what I what we really want is to kind of bring forth an option for people to use decentralized products. Exactly. Um, that's the most powerful thing that um, kind of motivates me to kind of continue in this space. Yep. But, uh, you know, uh, this was a great chat, man. Um, and I really hope uh, Konos is going to uh, be able to pull off everything we thought we could pull off. And by the way, mainnet's around the corner. It is, um, yeah. That means that the mining pool is around the corner as well. That means yep. that people will be able to use the blockchain around the corner. And then after that, it's going to be a roller coaster ride. Yeah. Exciting times. Absolutely. All right, everybody. That's all the time we have. Thanks again, Kui, for coming on. This is great. Thank you for having me. And uh, check out my YouTube channel. Help <laughs> me get this content out there. And you know, I'm not a very super creative person. If you've got ideas or you want to see certain videos out there, just go ahead and drop me a DM, um, and I'll try to plan something around it. Uh, and uh, you know, help me make some long tail content to help Coinos. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, guys. All right, everybody. Join me next week for the Coin Press podcast. Bye for now.